Now, I'm going to start today in a new series for Christmas and for the month of December on the gifts of the wise men. And it's something that I've taught as just a one-off thing a couple of times, but I've really been blown away as I've gone down and drilled a little into the detail of who these guys were, uh, whatever we can figure out about them. The gifts that they gave especially have deep meaning, are very prophetic, and show a whole bunch of faith. So we can learn a ton just from the gifts that they gave. So we're going to talk today about one of the gifts, and then the next couple weeks about different gifts, and then, uh, and then we'll finish off on Christmas Eve with the last one. But I'm excited to see what the Lord will do. Now, can any of you name one of the gifts that the wise men gave? Oh, you guys did good. Gold, frankincense, myrrh, right? So we will unpack what each of those mean um, because they have deep significance, and I think you'll be blown away as we study those things. And the, the other piece of this is not just what did they give and what did it mean, but what do we give? What does it mean for us this Christmas to give something to the Lord in response to those things? Like if they gave incense to the Lord, what is that like in my life? What would I give to Jesus that would be just like that? So that's what we're going to get after. But before we get into the gifts of the wise men or the magi, I want to spend a couple minutes on your gifts. So how many of you two weeks ago filled out a gifts survey? Looks like this thing on the, on the screen. Okay, so we're going to take two minutes right now. And those of you who have not done one, please uh, just put your name and some basic info on there and a little bit about what you know about your gifts so far. Now, let me say this. I've heard a couple of you say, why? Because that's me, too. So I'm, I'm you. So I'm the kid in school that went... Are we... Can we hear me now? There we go. We're good. So I'm the, I'm the kid in school that broke stuff. No. I'm the kid in school that said, uh, that's okay for all of you to do that. I don't need to do that. I don't know where I got that, but so here's my encouragement to you. This is for you to clarify what gifts has God given you. This is for us to know what gifts are there in the body and how can we connect you with each other. And this is also to help us help you take some next steps in your gift. So it's not about um, it's not about, I'm going to call you when I have a need for a plumber, okay? It's more about, if you think you may have a gift like prophecy or teaching, what in the world do you do with that? Because sometimes you know what a gift is, and you have no idea, like, you've been 10 years wondering, what do I do with this? And the Lord wants to help you and help us. So, here's the thing, if you already filled out this two weeks ago, Here's your assignment. Read Matthew chapter 2 to prepare yourself for my teaching in a couple of minutes, okay? And the rest of you, please fill out this survey while we listen to We Three Kings. Raise your hand if you need a survey. Okay, let's do it. A couple of them are needed right over here, Kathleen. Matthew chapter 2. Let's find out how much you know about the wise men. We're going to give you five questions. This is Wise Men Trivia, and keep track of your answers. Lila, I'm watching you. Let's see if you can get all these right. So the first 
one uh, is this. How many wise men were there? Okay, many of you would say three. Okay, I'm not going to tell you the answer yet. Did they ride camels? Would you say yes or no? Okay, number three, how old was Jesus when they visited him? Ah, okay, we have multiple answers. Where did they come from? Okay, the east, that's a good safe answer. If you have that one, you got it right. Uh, And how many gifts were there that they brought? Oh, hey, look at that. Ed pulled out the sneaky answer. Okay, so let's go through and see how you did. How many wise men were there? We have no idea. We have no idea. We have We Three Kings songs all over the place, but we don't know how many. We know there were three gifts or were there, right? But we don't know how many wise men. And evidently, when they came into Jerusalem, it created quite a stir for Herod. So it must have been a pretty decent entourage coming into town. Did they ride camels? We have pictures of them doing this, but cameras had not been invented yet. So, if they were wealthy from the east, they would have ridden horses, possibly mules, not camels. Camels would have been for their stuff. The gifts would have been riding on a camel, not the guy. Um, How old was Jesus when they visited him? Somewhere around a year and a half to two years old. Unlike our nativity sets. We'll talk more about that. Where did they come from? We don't know. East is the correct answer, but we'll talk more about where they came from in a minute. How many gifts were there? The short, easy answer is three, but this is interesting. The fourth gift, I would say, is worship because they came and they worshiped him, and then they gave these other gifts. So that's what we're going to talk about on Christmas Eve, the fourth gift of the wise men. So these guys are my favorite characters in the Christmas story. I don't know about you, but I have always been intrigued with them because there's so much mystery. We know certain things, and we can guess certain things, but there's a lot we don't know. We don't know exactly where they came from. We don't know how long their journey would have been, but odds are it was between 1,500 and 2,600 miles that they came, which is a long stint, right? So uh, how long would it? you on foot to get from here to New York? A little, little while. Okay. Um, we don't know if they knew each other before or if they met on the road. They all had a common goal, but, you know, could it have been like the Fellowship of the Ring that they just kind of got together and, you know, they were from all these different backgrounds and then they went to do this thing. Um, so, but I, I found a couple, uh, I did a little research and I'll show you a couple of things that I did discover. So let's, let's look at that first picture. So um, evidently, one of the guys, you know, could have brought something other than gold maybe, if he came now. Okay, let's look at the next one. Uh, I love this. So this will take a minute to settle in. Frank in what? Okay, okay. And one more. This, this one is for the ladies in the room. Okay, this is how you know a true wise man. Right? If they were really wise, they would understand all of these things to be true. Okay. I saw another one that showed if it was wise women what they would have brought. 
right? It would have been different, something really practical. They would have brought some diapers and some food, right? Okay. Okay. So were they kings? Because the songs say kings, and the word is actually magi, which is closer related to magician, which really means astrologer or court advisor. And so they were probably not kings, although one of the traditions is that they were from royal families, but they were not the king. So they actually have names. We don't know. We'll find out in heaven someday if this is true. But Melchior, Caspar, and Balthazar are supposedly their names. So tradition has carried this forward, and we don't know if it's just made up or if we'll actually meet Balthazar and say, he'll be like, yeah, I'm the guy, which will be cool. Now, scholars think that they were one of two types of people. One is that they were Persians and Zoroastrians, and so there was a, there's a, um, a, a subculture. The Medes tried to conquer Persia, this group of Medes. They didn't succeed, but the Medes became a priestly class in Persia, and they were monotheistic. They looked to the stars and to the planets for significant things happening on earth. So they believed that the heavens are where God displays his glory and gives hints to what was happening. They actually had a prophecy about a star leading to a king. Zoroastrians in Persia, like, wow, interesting, right? And in fact, Marco Polo said that he visited the town that the, the kings or the, the magi came from. So that's an interesting little tidbit of info over there. Now, if it was not the, the Persians, the other great guess is Babylon. And so we have Daniel, the prophet, was stuck in Babylon for a while in captivity. And it's interesting that he was in charge of the wise men of Babylon. And that some of his prophecies that he wrote were about the Messiah coming. And he would plant the seed within that culture of, hey, watch, the Messiah is going to come not just for the Jews, but for everybody. And the wise men 700 years later may have been still paying attention to their hero, Daniel, who saved their class from being wiped out. Because the story in Daniel is all of the wise men were going to be killed. And Daniel said, hey, wait a minute, I can interpret the dream. So he saved their, their, their little subculture. So if we look in Daniel 2, we notice a, a couple of things. In verse 4, the astrologers, that's the word, answered the king. That's the magi. And then if you look down in verse 48, the king placed Daniel in a high position and made him ruler over Babylon and in charge of all the wise men. So you have th this exact idea of the court appointed. They actually called them kingmakers because their job was to help the king be a better king. And so they understood science and astrology and philosophy and religion. And these were the smart dudes of that day. Okay? And check out this interesting verse, too, I ran across. Numbers 24, 17. A star will come out of Jacob, a scepter out of Israel. So there are little hints in the Old Testament of something going on. And if people were paying attention, we'll find out the Israel, Israelites were not paying attention. <laughs> but it's kind of like they were not paying attention, so someone needed to. And so God sent these guys from far away to pay attention to the birth of his son. So let's look at Matthew 2. Some of you have just read it, um, but some powerful stuff here. We're going to read just a few verses. Matthew 2, starting in verse 1. 
after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Here's something interesting. They did use GPS. It's the God-provided star that got them to where they needed to go. Now, verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. He was disturbed in a lot of ways. But he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And here's why. Herod was a bad guy. Like, we think that sometimes in our government or in our world we have bad. Check this out. Killed at least one wife. Killed his mother. Killed at least two sons. So, uh, in fact, one of the Caesars said it's safer to be Herod's pig than in his family. So, woo, he's famous for being bad. And we will find out more about how bad he was. So, verse 4, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. He should have known this. That's interesting. So he was half Jewish. He'd been leading in this nation for a while. They had been waiting for the Messiah, and yet they're completely clueless to all of this. So then they say, in Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what the prophet has written. It's interesting what the prophet has written. There are 300 Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah coming, and Jesus came and fulfilled all of those. And so if anyone was paying attention at all, it's interesting, this, the teachers of the law, like they, were, they had this stuff memorized, right? They knew the letter of the law. They were not ready. They didn't care. That's just the most fascinating part of this whole story to me is these guys travel, you know, 2,000 miles maybe to come see the one who's been born, and these guys couldn't travel six miles, like a one-day easy walk to just go, oh, I wonder if this is it. They didn't care. That's crazy. So the wise men left Herod. They found the star again, and it showed them a particular house. Now notice, it's not a stable. It's a house. So they are living in Bethlehem now. And so here, here's the thing. You know how we have a nativity set? How many of you have a nativity set? So there was a display, I don't know if they're doing it this year, but at St. Paschal, they had over 100 nativity sets from around the world. I hope they do it again, but we'll share it if we find it. So in your nativity set, we have Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus, right? And we had a tradition in our home where someone would always steal baby Jesus. And then we would have to find him. Sometimes we wouldn't find him in time for Christmas. So, but we have the wise men part of the nativity, right? They're not here. So, so what we really need to do with these guys is we need to put them like on the road. So they're, they're like in your house. They should be not, they should be still on, right? No, actually they should be, you know, maybe over here. Here you go, Stratton. So they should be over here, and they're on their way. And, and so I would encourage you, if you have your wise men, 
put them somewhere far away so that you can remember the search that, that they were on. Right on? Okay. So on coming to the house, verse 11, they saw the child with his mother Mary. No mention of Joseph. Poor Joseph got left out again. They bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they gave him the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Their first gift was worship. And I think for us, this is a great reminder, before we give Jesus our time, our treasure, our talent, we could give him all those things without giving him what's most important, our heart, ourselves. And and so you might go into Christmas and go, man, I'm going to give some good gifts. I am going to give so-and-so this thing they've always wanted. I'm going to blow away so-and-so with this surprise attack gift that's going to blow their mind, and I'm going to give this to the church, and man, are they going to be stoked. And the Lord's like, isn't it my birthday? Like, what are you going to give him? And, And maybe you could say, he already has all of me and all that I have. Awesome. But maybe he doesn't. And that's where we have to start on our knees, before Jesus, saying, I worship you because you are worthy. And everything that I have, everything that I am, I owe to you. That's where Christmas becomes not uh, a national holiday, not an American thing, not a tradition, not something that we do. But it, it becomes part of who we are, because Christmas means Advent. He came right? He came to earth, Emmanuel, with us, and that changes everything. So the wise men, this is interesting, they seem to know a whole bunch about Jesus, even though they never met him. So either they were really in tune with prophecy, or the Holy Spirit said, here are the gifts I want you to give, or both. I like to think it was both. I think they were paying attention to, this is a king born to rule, this is a king born to die, this is a king born to be in charge and also to serve. And this is a, a, a king that came that is God, not just man. And I think they were paying attention to all of these things, and their gifts really showed that they were tuned in. And look at the first gift we're going to study today, the, the gift of gold. So gold, we're going to talk about more, is the gift for a king. Here's the other thing that's interesting about gold. It's money, Right? Gold is quick to use, quick to spend. Like, so in this day and age, this was the perfect currency. And the next day, they had to flee for Egypt. God provided what they needed to flee to Egypt and live there while Herod killed all the little boys in the Bethlehem area under two years old, all of them. So there was a heads up that the angel gave Joseph and said, you got to get out of town because Herod is bad news and he's coming for you. And so they left the next day. Pretty wild. So Herod was jealous of the danger in the manger. And he thought a king of the Jews... Now, this is think about how paranoid he is. He's thinking that a two-year-old is going to take his throne. He's nuts. And, and so he just had to kill any threat, 
in his family, out of his family, any age. He just had to do away with anything that was coming at him. So that's what happened. And interestingly, the Magi did not return through Jerusalem because Herod said, come back and report to me. In other words, tell me where he is because I want to kill him. So an angel told the Magi, don't go back. They returned by a different route to their home. And that's another sermon, but once you have met Jesus, you are never the same, and you travel by a different route, right? So they also gave the gift of frankincense, which means pure incense, the gift for a priest. It's used in temple worship and prayer. And then they gave the gift of myrrh, which is a very bizarre choice. It was worth money, but it was an embalming um, uh, uh, resin. So we have a child born laid in a manger who is come to be king, but check out his crown. So this is not your everyday king. So this would have been a very strange gift for anybody unless they knew what he came to do, unless the Holy Spirit had tipped them off about this child is born to save souls. He's born to sacrifice himself. Man. Isaiah 60, check out these verses, uh, verses 3 and 6. Nations will come to your light, kings to the brightness of your dawn, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. There are all kinds of hints and winks in the Old Testament about Jesus coming and the way he came. So let's look at the meaning of that first, that first gift, gold. Gold is mentioned 385 times in Scripture, and uh, mostly good. It's mentioned more than any other metal. It's always associated with kingship or wealth or royalty or influence. Gold is a big deal. And in that day and age, it was the most precious of metals. Now, since they've come up with, hey, we like platinum better, hey, we like this better, but 2,000 years ago, gold was the thing because you could shape it, and it was beautiful, and it was rare, but you could still find it. And more than any other metal, it was associated with kings. So how many of you have seen King Tut's stuff? Have you ever, have you ever seen it in person, Anybody? So we got to see it at the Cairo Museum um, many years ago. Unbelievable exhibit of gold and stuff. And funny story, so we're in a tour bus, we're coming to the Cairo Museum, and, and you know, he stops a little short in the parking lot of the museum because there's a Volkswagen bug parked in bus parking. So he pulls in and he kind of looks at us and he looks at the bug. And he pushed it out of the way with his bus, and this bug just popped out of gear and rolled down this embankment into a gully. And then he opened up the door and let us all go to the museum. No, it was like, in Cairo, that's like, yeah, no big deal. So, <laughs> anyway, so, uh, so, but King Tut was a minor king. I studied Egypt Egyptology in school, loved that stuff. He was not a big deal. And so you look at the stash of gold that this dude had, it was so big in our standards because it was undiscovered, and all the others had been robbed. And so, so but they found his tomb basically un, you know, un, un, uh, undisturbed, there's a word. And, and so they found all this good stuff, but other kings would have had four or five times that much stuff. 
Now, think about Solomon in Scripture, wealthiest person in, in the Bible we know of. So, 25 tons of gold came into his treasury every year. Okay? So, that's a billion dollars in gold a year. You know, just for fun. And, and interesting, there's a, there's a verse that says that gold and precious metals and gems were so plentiful that they were like stones in them. So during that day, it was just like, it's just gold. Pretty incredible. But how many of you like gold? Are you enamored with this stuff? So I wear some, and I love it. And, uh, and interestingly, a lot of Egyptian gold is in our gold now. It's all been recycled all around the world. So you're probably wearing some which is kind of nice. Okay, so Jesus came as a baby, but he also came as a king. And so the gift of gold shows kingship, reverence, and honor. A hundred times in the New Testament, it talks about his kingdom or Jesus as the king. Not one, not three, not five, a hundred times. This is a strong theme throughout the New Testament. But what kind of king is he? And, and I think about the book of Revelation, especially when I think about this question, because we have he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's the ultimate ruler. He's also the ultimate servant. So Jesus, the night before he went to the cross, he showed the full extent of his love to his disciples. And it's interesting, it says in, the, in those verses, Jesus, knowing that all authority had been given to him, got down on his knees and washed their feet. He is, the, he is the king that blows our minds by his power and his rule and his authority and his majesty and by his willingness to give it all away for us. Unbelie what king leaves their palace for the peasants? What king gives up their life so they can live? That's not how natural human history goes. How many of you studied world history? He's the only one. It's completely in contrast with everybody else. Matthew 20, 28, Jesus talking about himself, he said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. And John 18, and this is Jesus talking to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. And he said, hey, if my kingdom was of this world, my my followers would defend me. And he said in another place, like angels would come and rescue me. But it's not about that. It's not about an earthly kingdom. So, uh, so what kind of king is he? Let's listen to this for just a minute, and I think you'll find it pretty inspiring. The Bible says my king is a king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's 
a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He forgives sinners. He serves the unfortunate. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? could describe him to you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. The whole version of that is like nine minutes long. It is unbelievable. But I love that phrase, I wonder if you know him. People think they know him. Do they know him? Do they know our king? Do you know your king? If you claim to be a Christian, that means Christ won. Do you know your king? Let's read a little bit about him from Revelation 19. I saw heaven standing open. There before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire. On his head are many crowns. This is not just the king of one country or one people. I think that's a picture of being the king of every nation on earth. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, if you were in the presence of royalty, what would you do? You would bow, right? We know that even now. 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, you would bow or die. So... What does bowing signify? What does it mean to bow low before royalty? Humility, submission, and here's the other thing, vulnerability. Because if you come in the presence of royalty and you bow low, his guys can chop your head off if they feel like it. And you are saying, I'm humble before you, and if you take my life, I guess... That's how it goes. That's so different than how we think about our faith. It's so different than how we approach our king. And I think it's sad. I think it's sad that we would go into Christmas and not think about the king. Because Christmas without theology, there's nothing. Without Jesus coming to earth to save, there is no Christmas. I mean, it's not about reindeers and Santa and cards, right? 
Without him, without the king, there's, there's nothing. I think if you're in the presence of royalty, you show respect. And here's a hard one for some of us. You shut up. You zip it. You don't speak unless you're spoken to. How cool would it be if our prayer lives were more like that? Lord, speak. I'm not going to until you want me to. And I think when you come in the presence of royalty, you bring a gift. And maybe you don't have much, but you bring anything that you have. You bring the most precious thing you can think of. If, if, I, had, if I was going to go meet with the Queen of England, I, w- I would probably do a little research. What does she like? Right? What, what could I bring that I could actually afford that might mean something? Because I don't want to show up empty-handed. But I think a lot of times we show up to the Lord just casual, like, hey, how you doing? Rather than respect honor and love and submission and sacrifice and what gift should I give him this year? I don't know yet, but I want to ask that question because he's royalty. So how will you act in the presence of Christ this Christmas? Because he's all over the season and you may be the only person that notices in your family or in your workplace or on your street but you can still notice him. You can still live in, in reverence and awe of who he is. Like those guys did. The Magi were in reverence and awe, and the religious leaders did not care. There are a lot of people that don't care. But you know what's interesting? Based, because of this last two years of difficulty, more people care. I think right now people are saying, is there hope? Is, where can I find some truth, some love, some peace? some joy. They can find that in our king. But they're going to be looking for people that are not insane in the the season, but sane and peaceful and joyful and reverent and watching him. And what gift will you give your king? The primary one that we can give a king is allegiance, right? Right? You are my king. You are in charge. I am not. That's the issue of lordship. There's a, there's a lot of us that maybe we gave our lives to Jesus when we were six years old, but we've really been in charge since then. That's not how it works. If, if he's king, I don't get to be in charge. He gets to be in charge. If he's not in charge, then who does it say the king is really? Me. I'm still on the throne in my life, and Jesus is like, You don't have any room for me. That throne's full. But we got to get out of his spot in our lives and allow him to take his rightful place. And and I'm going to press in a little bit here. Gold is a symbol of wealth and possessions and money and stuff. So does he have your stuff? Yes or no? And you might say, he's got 10% of my stuff. He's got 3% of my... But really, if if he's the king, and he's in charge and I'm not, all of it's his. Right? That shows my priority. If my priority is me, and I call all the shots, he's not really the king of my stuff. 
And for Americans, this is a hard one, right? Because we are the success, I mean, our, success, our, our nation is based on success and accomplishment and cash flow and all, all this jazz. But if it's not given to him like they gave precious gifts 2,000 years ago and just say, this is not, this is yours. Do with it what you want. That allows us to really be Christ ones. Sacrificial, yes, and suddenly joyful because it's not about all the stuff. God doesn't want your stuff because he needs your stuff. He wants your stuff because he wants you. But sometimes our stuff keeps us from him, right? So do you remember the parable, the, the, I mean, the story of the rich young ruler? And, and, and the guy said, I've done everything right. What am I still missing? He knew he was missing something, right? And so Jesus said, give everything that you have to the poor and then come follow me. And then it says, the man went away sad. He couldn't do it. Now, it's interesting. There's only one story like that. Because Jesus didn't go into every town and go, where's the wealthiest guy? Give it all away. He didn't do that. It was this guy because that was his hiccup. His barrier, his wall between him and following Jesus was his wealth. And he said, that barrier's got to go. Not because it's money, it's because it's a barrier. So it could be anything in your life, but for that guy it was wealth. And in our story with gold, for some of us it's gold that needs to be offered to him and say, God, do this, do whatever you want with my stuff because I want to give you my heart. I got one amen. So, <laughs> and, and here's the, the last thing I want to say about, about cash. He has entrusted us with stuff to use to help others. And so sometimes we pray for miracles and we pray for change and we pray for you know, an alleviation of poverty, and we pray for this to happen and this to happen, and then God goes, I, I gave you the resources. How come you're not doing that? He wants to use his people to bring about the changes. Um, I remember there's, there's a book that says, Become the Answer to Your Prayer. We need to be leaning into, Lord, how do you want me to use all of who you, you've made me to be, including my stuff? Okay, so here's, here's where we're going to finish, and I want to ask the band to come, come back up. Is he your king? And most of us in the room would say, oh yeah. Like, let me show you my Christian ID card. Like, he is my king. So as, as I was, I was telling Annie this, I was prepping this week and I was excited about, you know, some of the kingship themes and the, the magi and I was excited about this and that and I was all done my sermon for today. Amen. And then this morning, I felt like the Lord showed me some new things, and I was like, yeah, I'm done. And, and here's, here's what he was showing me this morning. If he is your king, ask yourself three questions. Does he know that he's your king? Who cares what you think? Right? Is that a like, I might think, oh, yeah, he's my king. What if he doesn't think so? What if Jesus looks at me and goes, you're just one of those religious people that thinks you have it all together, and I never really knew you. Matthew 25, right? There are some people that think, I got it all together, man. Me and Jesus are like this. 
And then in the judgment, he's like, I never had your heart. I just had your words, and I had you Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. That's about it. Does he know that he's your king? Yes. And the second question is this. Do you know that he is your king? Are you sure? Do you know Jesus is the center of my life? He's the Lord of my life. He calls the shots and I don't. And here's proof. Because this last week, I wanted to do this and I did this instead. Because I thought my life would be this and he saved it and he made it into... So you know, like, I know. Does he know? Do you know? And here's the last one. Do your friends know? Well, but that's just private. You know, my faith is very personal to me. If your faith was that personal to you, people would know. Because your football team is personal to you and they know. Your golf score is personal to you and they know. Am I right? That's just a dumb excuse. So, so let's pray through these things. And I want to just encourage you, just allow the Lord to speak to you right now and just say, Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm ready. Just, you know, have at me. <laughs> and Lord, speak to me right now because I need you this Christmas. Um, Lord, I ask that you would speak to each of our hearts right now. Jesus, thank you that you are the king of the universe. And Lord, be the king of our hearts. And, and maybe you have never said uh, uh, to Jesus, be my king, be my Lord, be my everything. And now's your chance to go into this Christmas free from you. <laughs> Allow yourself to just get out of that, that driver's seat, get out of that throne and make room for the king of the universe. And, and right now, if that's you here or online or you're watching later, just say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I trust you. You are the king, not. And I ask that you would remove my sin by your power, by your cross, that you would wash me, that you'd make me right. And Jesus, that you would take over my life from now on forever and make me back and never wonder who's in charge of my life, because I know that you are. Jesus, take over and have your way. And now maybe, maybe you are the person that you're not sure if he knows he's the king of your life. Tell him. Jesus, you're the king. I'm sorry that I haven't been acting like that. Please, Jesus, would you, would you take over my life more and more and more every day? And maybe, maybe I gave my, my heart to you, my life to you 20 years ago, uh, 40 years ago. But, but Jesus, I want you to be front and center. I want to honor you with my life. I want you to be the king of my decisions. I want you to be the king of my wealth. I want you to be the king of my future. I want you to be the king of my relationships and my habits. Jesus, be the king. I welcome you, I invite you, I give all that I am to you. And Jesus, I hope that you know you're the king. Show me, by your spirit, may I be very sensitive to wandering away from you. And may you always stay at the center and on the throne. And maybe you're here and you've been chicken, you've been a private Christian, and you're, you've been afraid for anybody to know, because maybe they'll think you're not smart, Maybe they'll think you're not cool. Maybe they'll think something else. Maybe they'll think you're one of those religious freaks. 
Jesus, forgive us for not representing you well, not bringing you into conversations when you want to be there, when you want to bring hope and help and healing to people, and we chicken out. Lord, open our minds, open our hearts, open our, open our mouths to speak of who you are this Christmas. And, and, uh, and Lord, we want opportunities to show you and to show you off. So Lord, this Christmas, we ask for chances to show how beautiful and how powerful and how true you are. We ask that you would give those to us and that we'd have the guts to go for it and to speak the truth in love to people around us that they could have joy in you forever. And I ask, Lord, that people would come to know you and we would hang out with them and party with them in heaven forever because of how you've changed our lives today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake, and everyone clapped. Amen. Amen. Amen.